0: welcome to running on ice the coolest community in freight i'm your host mary o'connell bringing you the latest tech updates warehouse news and everything happening in the cold chain world not only is there the coolest show in freight but there's also running on ice a nice newsletter that could not be colder you can subscribe to that on freightwaves.com running on ice Today, we welcome back the one and only Juan Myzel, founder and CEO at GRIP. Welcome back to the show, Juan. Thank you, Mary. Good to see you. I am excited about today um, because I've been following you guys for a while and you guys took a, took a jump in an interesting direction. Uh, and that is to kind of start these uh, temperature controlled uh, kind of fulfillment centers. And uh, I got to say, at first, I was like, what? Then I was like, oh, I guess it kind of makes sense. So, Kind of jumping right in, what does, what inspired you guys to kind of jump into this fulfillment center space? Um, yeah, what made you guys do it?
1: Yeah, totally. So some you know, history on it, and you've been following us for some time, is we started purely as the technology layer that decides how to ship boxes. So basically looking at millions of data points through the network and understanding what's the absolute best way to get a box of something perishable, which means refrigerated or frozen from community to community. And, you know, after we uh, did that for some time and we built this incredible platform that uh, was really missing in the market, like our customers were getting great value from it. But at the end of the day, if you do all that right, but you're still having trouble, like actually fulfilling and shipping the boxes on the ground, then there's always going to be a disconnect. And the industry for direct to consumer perishables is so new that like it's very fragmented because that's just how the industry has evolved. So it, there was just this opportunity to be, you know, the player in the space that had all the points connected through the ecosystem, so that we would all run it through the same platform. And then you just have every single data point and every single movement of the products and goods within the same platform. ecosystem. So uh, that has been a really, really big value a lot for our customers where they just had to deal with, you know, multiple companies, multiple softwares, multiple processes, multiple systems, and everything it was just fragmented. So. Uh, with this it was a very clear path to us it was actually our same customers who pushed us into it uh, uh you know very quickly basically knowing that we had done it before uh, you know in the butcher box states and some other companies that we were advising as well and uh it was just a very clear path for us uh, and you know it's been great to see the the evolution of it from a pure software and and you know we were also getting very involved in the operation because we're very hands-on with our customers to understand uh, what they need and what else we can help with but uh, now you know we're definitely all in in it, and we've seen a pretty fun evolution of of the the customer journey that you know starts with the technology, and then we just end up helping them to the fore end to end of the supply chain.
0: I feel like that has to be a pretty good like feeling when your customers are like, "Hey, are you doing this?" and you're like, "Oh, I guess not, but I guess we could." And they're like, "Yeah, you should do this, and you should kind of take this over." I feel like that's got to be a pretty good pat on the back that they like, you know see your value and your worth and recognize and say you should do more because we would love to give you more business
1: totally totally i mean we we're just making fun the other day that a lot of people cause a CAS, so company as a service and not a sas or a 3bl just because we do so much for them uh you know we're very deep into the full you know data infrastructure and sending notifications to their customers and you know organizing the full back end of how they work and now also with our boots on the ground and actually ship the boxes it's basically like you know we actually just they take all the heavy work of their place for logistics and operations, and they focus on building the products, on innovating uh, with, you know, new stuff that they can sell to their customers, with, um, you know, the front end of their websites, with, like, actually building brand equity um, and we're taking care of all the back end. And it's just incredible to see also how lean our customers can be by offloading all these in the back end to us, where, you know, before this, they just needed all these people to to manage all these different partners and vendors, but if you just have you know, everything flowing through one API connection into the one system, and then you just get all the bills, very organized from that one provider, and you just know it's been taken care of, you know, you can just focus your efforts on something more valuable.
0: Oh, absolutely. That's something that has come up a lot lately, um, kind of been talking about different areas within a company or an organization. And that is, you know, remembering that, you know, if I'm a shipper or if I'm a, if I'm a, someone that has one of these, uh, has a has a box that I would like to offer to people, you know, uh, my specialty is that product that I sell and it is coming up with new products and innovations. It's not how do I get something from Seattle to Chicago and keep it at 30 degrees? So that is something that I think more and more people are realizing that, OK, well, this is just because I have this, you know, I want to cover coast to coast network. I don't have to suddenly have the lo- entire logistics department. To go from from seattle to miami like i can i can lean on partners and i can give it i can hand it over to people who are the experts who can do it so that way i can focus more on my business and the products that i want to sell and i do love that people are kind of recognizing that and saying okay well i'm going to focus on what i'm really good at and i'm going to hand this off to people who are really good at what they do
1: totally totally and and uh you know we've seen it like companies that decide to go that that route and just be more lean and and like it go more towards a partnership model. It, we just seen that it just unlocks growth for them. Because reality is that resources are limited and also more nowadays that you know, a lot of companies are not getting the funding that they used to get is, hey, you know, let me just optimize this by not giving resource giving resources a lot of attention to these that I can just plug into someone that I know that the only thing that they're doing and the only mission that they have is making that right. So like, of course, a company is going to do it much more efficiently at a better cost and, you know, with better data traceability That because it's the only thing that they do versus just trying to rebuild the whole model. When we compare it also to like trying to rebuild a Stripe, for example, the payment processing system. Like if that, if you're a direct-to-consumer company that's where you're focusing your resources on, um, you know, I definitely think that you got some things to, to rethink. and I And I don't think that supply chain is necessarily there yet that, you know, it's just a one connection. You don't have to worry about anything, but with things, with the things that we put in place and, you know, some other players out there for sure, uh, we're more so getting there and that democratizes the whole, you know, access to it as well, where if you're a small company that has a great product, now you don't have to spend your resources optimizing for the supply chain. You can just plug into someone that can do that, all that for you. And you can just focus on getting more people to know your product.
0: So one of the things that you guys have done is you have a couple of these new fulfillment centers. Do you kind of see, uh, do you guys see, you know, having to add more kind of and grow that footprint as more and more companies kind of, you know, use your services and would like you guys to be their fulfillment experts?
1: Yeah, we've had to for sure. Uh, I mean, we already have to uh, move from one facility to the other because we need a much more uh, space and. Uh, You know, that happened pretty fast a couple months after we launched, uh, which was great to see. But then also, you know, we should have probably planned better for that. Um, But um, yeah, you know, it's it's been that whole site has been great. We we actually cover the entire country now in two days, under two days uh, in shipping. So we get to about 50 to 60 percent in one day. So 24 hours and the rest in 48 hours. So we don't necessarily need more uh, facilities to to get to places of the country we could use more facilities to get there faster but at some point you know you start getting diminishing returns by the more facilities that you open and uh, you know brands there's also an inventory carrying inventory cost for them so they don't necessarily want to be uh, you know in, in four or five facilities all the time.
0: That kind of does make sense because I think uh, a lot of the people that you guys work with are those small to medium-sized shippers uh, where you know it's it's easy to kind of work out of maybe a freezer or your house or like a very small facility but the uh the, the the jump from a smaller facility to, you know, like a 3 million bajillion dollar warehouse is kind of a large jump that not everyone can swing. So um I do kind of, that is a very important thing that uh, happens is, you know, they don't, those small to medium-sized shippers, they don't have millions of dollars to have inventory all over the country. So they really kind of have to maximize it where it is. Um, have you guys run into problems? Uh, I guess you kind of alluded to it a little bit where you opened a facility and you had to hurry up and open another one because you had so much demand. Um, have you guys run into any tr- problems like, you know, finding these temperature-controlled spaces for people?
1: Yeah, we have, uh, you know, in- initially, and, and you know, most of we were looking at this like a year plus ago where, you know, the northeast specifically, uh, capacity was very tight. Uh, some other markets as well. Um, I think our... our like our value proposition in the space is is very strong from a unit economic standpoint, because if you take a facility that's doing pilot in, pilot out, and then you start adding a lot more, you start doing a lot more value added activities, like, you know, picking by the unit and then shipping boxes where you're getting like multiple dollars per box, then the business model makes a lot more sense to grab space that might not make sense if you're just doing pilot in, pilot out. So just for that reason, it's been a little bit easier for us. And then also, what we do with this is everything gets optimized before the products get to the ground. So once like an order gets to the ground, there's zero decisions that are made. At that point, we're just following instructions. So that basically like optimizes the full, you know, flow of product and how we are using the square feet of these warehouses. So that has made it a little bit easier for us, but not to say that, you know, the, the market is definitely challenging. You know, I think that's probably going to alleviate Within the next couple of years, as you see millions of you know square feet being built specifically on the frozen and the uh, refrigerator side, and mostly on the hot markets, as you know everything else with supply and demand. But uh, yeah, it's definitely been been challenging for sure for over the last year. or So,
0: oh yeah, there. Uh, that's why the I feel like there's kind of like a hole, like you know, there's all this like warehouse space is kind of opening on the dry van side, and it's not as tight as it was, but. Cold chain, I feel like you could probably build like 700 more 300 square foot, 300,000 square foot warehouses and people will be like, that's still not enough.
1: I mean, you see it. And it's also like, if you look at the average age of a frozen facility, it's like somewhere from like 40 to 60 years, if you look at the average age. So, you know, those are facilities that are not as tall, so you can't fit that many, you know, pallets in them. Uh The refrigeration units are not as efficient, so you're not getting, you know, you're having to pay a lot to Keep up with them and maintain it. So, you see a lot of innovation in that space eh, as well. So, you know, there's a lot of things where, like, hey, even if the market is tight, if you open a facility, that's much more efficient. That's going to allow you to keep you know costs low, and that's going to allow you to service your customer better as well. So, there's probably still space for you know new facilities, even if the market is not necessarily asking for more.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, I think, I think we could all just the 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 fact that some of the like. Some warehouses are still like 60 years old, does still might blow my mind a little because, you know, the warehousing 60 years ago versus today is quite a lot different. So um, I can only imagine. I just kind of want to see some of the retrofits that exist in that because I feel like it has to be like, a, huh, I guess that does work.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we'll have see some of those and then they do a great job uh, retrofitting, but you know, at the end of the day, it's like the core of the facility that you can't necessarily change or, you know, to change refrigeration units, it's also sometimes billions of dollars. So, you know, there's a lot of money that have gone into these facilities and not all of them have, you know, paid all the money back. So that means that you just like basically need, need to keep working on it until you get the ROI back.
0: Exactly. Um, One of the things that we've seen kind of, well, I guess we're coming out of it now that we're coming into the spring, but over the winter time you know there at one point in time there was a snowstorm that took out literally like half the country and most of the midwest with it so i guess how does that work with your cuz you guys do that fulfillment services so kind of um how do you kind of bring the unpredictability of you know winter storms and mudslides out west and wildfires and hurricanes how do you bring all of those unpredictable moments um into a little bit more predictability so that way your customers and your clients can Kind of, you know, have that, that, that like sigh of relief of like, okay, there is a winter storm, but I'm still going to get product out and I'm still not going to lose millions of dollars because there's snow across half the country.
1: Yeah. So the, the way that we do this is every time one of our customers is going to ship an order, we look at what's the specific timeframe of when that order is going to be on the road. And then we look at the paths of the order and we look at what type of major weather events could be impacting that route which means, you know, origin, path, and destination. And through that, we assess what are the different events that have the biggest impact in the supply chain and delays. And then with that, we provide recommendations of what to do with it. Now, at the end of the day, it's it's very challenging, right? Because these things are moving and changing very fast. And every single customer has different risk aversion strategies. Some of them could be like, hey, you know, just ship it. I need to try to get the product there anyway, or someone else could be, Hey, I don't really want to reach the product. So they just hold it and ship it in a couple days. But what we do is we provide our customers with all this information so that we can, together with them, make the decisions. of well. So we say, Hey, this order is going to be you know, impacted by a blizzard going through Colorado in the next three days, and it's bringing 12 inches of snow. And then the day after that, it's going to be sunny and we're shipping this order from Texas so we can get it north when the blizzard is heating and then the day after when the order is going to be there for the final mile then everything is going to be cleared up because they have pretty good uh you know road uh like stop cleaning systems for example in the state of colorado so those are all like decisions that we make with our customers and that's how we are proactive about it so that we just don't have orders sitting in a facility and just spoiling or customers that are waiting for food or something very important to get delivered to the house that they just never hear anything so uh, that's basically the approach that we take and What it does is it takes what it would have been a pretty bad experience for a customer and it flips it on the head on the head and it makes it a very very good one because if you're waiting for something and this company just reaches out to you saying that there's a major weather event in this route and they explain like what it's you know that's causing the product like me personally i mean also because i'm in logistics but like i would fall in love with that brand because i know that they have their stuff together when it comes to you know, the data, where am I located, the product that I ordered, like the time frame of when the order is going to be on the road. I just like know that, you know, they have their shit together.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would, uh, even if that was me, I would like, if, if I get anything that's like, hey, FYI, we're going to ship this, but it, we're going to just kind of scooch it a little bit. So that way, like nothing gets stuck in a storm or, you know, all of this thing, like any sign of forethought that, is sh- that a shipper or someone I'm buying from has. Uh, I will take a delay all day long. I will say, "Oh, okay, do you need to delay it a week? That's fine just because they had that foresight to go, Hey, we're gonna this is this is gonna be a problem. But instead of just saying it's stuck in a blizzard somewhere, we don't know where we actually have worked ahead to be like, No, it's okay. Don't worry. everything's fine,
1: like of course, from a refund and a receipt perspective, you know, you save a bunch of money, but then also from a lifetime value of the customer, that's where I think it has the most impact because. At this point, if you're a direct-to-consumer brand, you have already paid for that customer acquisition cost, which you know, even more so nowadays, it's it's pretty high. So it, that way, customers or uh, you know, direct-to-consumer companies are waiting for a few shipments based on revenue from each customer to be able to recoup that money and start making money on that customer. So if shipment one or two, you just mess up the delivery experience, then the biggest hit to the bottom line is the lifetime value of that customer.
0: Yeah, 100 percent. Just like with any other business, uh, if if I know that you do a good job and you make a mistake after I know that you already do a good job, I'm much more likely to forgive versus if it's the first time and there's a mistake. That's not going to that's not going to settle well. All right. So because you guys have developed this plan, uh, so kind of, you know, we can you can you can deal with the unpredictable. Do you foresee kind of the, because it's, it's not really a secret that, you know, climate change is happening. We're having a lot more unusual weather events. We're having blizzards in North Texas and other parts of Texas that aren't used to seeing snow and we're having ice everywhere. Do you kind of foresee more of these impacts uh, affecting the supply chain as kind of we move out through the rest of the year and into the years to come?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, we are already seeing it, as you said, know Texas getting snow, right? That like completely disrupts the supply chain because we just don't have trucks that are capable of cleaning uh, the roads and just making it available for people. Uh, And you know, we saw for example last year where we had one week in Los Angeles where, like that one week, temperatures went up by like you know twenty to thirty degrees, and there was a massive heat wave that hit for like you know three to four days. If you basically have a static rule of, hey, this is how I ship my orders to California, like let's say through the summer, then you're just going to have a bunch of damaged products like specifically to those two days because you're not really being dynamic or proactive about. Uh, so we see a lot more of those events happening where it's basically just for a few days, you know, randomly on a, on a, on a place of the country where if you're not really on top of it from a data or like if you can't adjust what you're doing from a systems perspective, then you're definitely going to be taking a big hit when it comes to your inventory and and customer satisfaction
0: oh absolutely i couldn't even imagine uh like for example last year i've lived in the midwest my entire life um i learned about corn sweat last year and that is when it is so hot that the corn starts like putting off its own humidity which then is increasing the humidity and making it hotter creating more humidity and stuff from the corn and that was like it, we were hitting like record highs of like heat indexes and everything. And so if I was trying to ship something through pretty much anywhere from Nebraska all the way to like Ohio, I was just getting stuck in this like just giant tunnel of heat. I was in my very own basically easy bake oven. And so I think that, you know, having stuff like that in place where, okay, well, we see that this is atypical for this time of the year or, you know, it's hot, but it's very, very hot. Um, especially in the temperature-controlled space, I feel like that has to at least help because if you know, okay, it's a two-day point, but a day and a half of this, I have to go through this Easy Bake Oven. That has to help at least in the beginning of saying, okay, well, then we maybe need to add a little bit more, um, you know, insulation or coolant to whatever I'm shipping so that way the product inside can actually stay safe and um, hopefully make it in one piece.
1: I mean, we've seen that, for example, with a Blizzard. When there's a Blizzard above a certain amount of, you know, inches of snow, the on-time delivery of a box drops from the high 90s to the high 60s. So there's almost like a 40, you know, point or almost like a 30 something point drop in on-time delivery for that shipment. So if you know that, then why are you even shipping the box? But to be able to do that, you need the systems in place to be able to be proactive about that. But the numbers are just, you know, incredible when it comes to performance of logistics, tied to major weather events,
0: I absolutely love that you guys have like been able to capture that data and kind of because we all know that whenever there's a blizzard or a weather event that like naturally service falls off and it's not as great but the fact that you guys actually have the data and like kind of the knowledge behind it of like yeah we could send it now and have a 20% chance of it getting there or we could just wait a day and everything will be fine or you know it'll it has a higher chance of getting there but I love the fact that you guys have that data behind it because that is something that I think a lot of shippers forget about or they don't necessarily think that there is, um, they don't necessarily kind of put stock or have that own kind of data on there.
1: Totally. I mean, and we're definitely, you know, still a long way to go when it comes to uh, like, you know, the analysis of data and being more proactive about the decisions, but uh, definitely with what we've been able to put together has been a huge help for our customers.
0: Absolutely. I can only imagine. I, I absolutely love it, but that's just me, the date—the the data nerd side of it. <laughs> All right, so I have two more questions for you. Uh, the first one is, how, like, do you see, we've talked on it a little bit, how do you see the demand for kind of this direct-to-consumer temperature-controlled logistics evolving? Do you kind of seeing it being uh, a, short, a short rise or just kind of a, this is probably going to stay here for a while?
1: So... My personal experience with the industry is that over the last decade, it's been evolving where before, let's say 10 years ago, you had to basically convince and teach someone that they can get something perishable delivered to their houses. Like it was an uphill battle to say, hey, you know, I'll give you the butcher box example at the beginning where we're not even like, hey, buy butcher box. It was more like, hey, you can buy, you know, frozen meat delivered to your house. And that was basically like a roadblock that we have in front of us where you had to teach the consumer that they can do that, and, that they, and they could trust that food delivered to their houses. Nowadays, it's almost like common sense. Like A lot of people just know and understand that they can go online and they can buy food or farm or flowers and it gets delivered to their houses, refrigerated. So I lived through that change of consumer behavior and that's why I'm very bullish on the industry because now that people know like, it's mostly just a, a product question, not a capability question, which is why we're very focused on what we're doing, which is, hey, like, we'll solve the capability question. Now you just focus on the product question. Uh, but, like, I'll go online, I'll buy anything refrigerated. I just trust that it makes it to my house. But, you know, that that's how we've seen that consumer trend change for the last decade. And that's why we think it's here to stay.
0: Oh, absolutely. I can't even tell you how many times I, I personally have said, Oh, well, I mean, I can just, you know, if it exists, I can definitely have it delivered somehow
1: or some way. I can have it delivered. I mean, 10 years ago, I was like, hey, it, like you have to get it where that
0: home. Yeah, I was the same. I was like, you can't get groceries delivered. I literally just had them delivered last week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that being said, we already know where you stand on cereal and soup. This time I'm going to need your best cheesy dad joke.
1: Mm so i'm not a, i'm not a dad yet, so that's gonna be challenging for me but i have uh logistics jokes uh which is a good mix which which could actually also be combined with that that jokes as well um but uh did you hear the uh did you hear the joke about the late shipment because most didn't get it
0: <laughs> <laughs> i like that one that one is that was a very good one that was a really good one i i appreciate that. Um, I love I love cheesy jokes. they are they are my brand of humor. so that is that is top tier one. Well done.
1: Get it on your books. <laughs>
0: All right, so if anyone has any other cheesy jokes or if they have any questions about the temperature control fulfillment space, where can they find you outside the show?
1: Uh, so LinkedIn, uh, you know our, our company's website Grip uh, LinkedIn or my personal Juan uh, C or Juan Camilo Meel. And then I just rejoined Twitter a couple of months ago after like eleven months of opening it once and never using it. Um, so you can also find me there, Juan Camilo Basil, or the company as well.
0: Awesome! God, Godspeed to your Twitter adventure. It's uh, it's a it's a it's a trek. It's a trek.
1: <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it goes.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. Good to see you, Mary. You can catch other episodes of Running on Ice right here on YouTube or anywhere else you get your podcasts, like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Need more running on nice news? No sweat. Subscribe to the newsletter on freightways.com slash running advice. See you on the internet.